Welcome to the History of the Bible. Here we will look to the Bible and explore the history of God's story. From the perspective that the Bible is absolute truth with events that actually happen with people that actually live. Never measuring what the Bible says and comparing it to man's theories, but always putting the theories under what the Bible says as truth. Come join us in the History of the Bible podcast. Episode 12, Joseph and his not-so-friendly brothers. In this episode, we'll be reading from chapters 37 through 40 in Genesis. Joseph was the most favorite son of Jacob, and it was kind of obvious to the point that everyone knew that he loved him the most. To show his love for his son, Jacob got Joseph, at the age of 17, a coat of many colors. At this point, it would have been probably about 10 years since Jacob and his family left his uncle Laban. Most likely, after the death of Joseph's mother, Rachel, he would then have been given over to one of the maids to be raised. This is probably why Joseph was with the sons of Villa and Zilpah when he brought back a bad report of them to their father, Jacob, probably causing the downward spiral of his brothers hating Joseph. Also, the coat that was given to him by his father would not help him either in his brother's view. The coat that was given to Joseph has been debated by many. It could either mean two different things. It could either mean that Joseph was actually given a coat with many colors on it, where the different colors of material were sewn together. These type of coats and robes have been discovered to be worn by the Semite people from an Egyptian tomb painting dating back to 1900 BC. So it wasn't uncommon to see someone with this type of coat in the time period that Jacob lived. What has been discovered is that the phrase coat of many colors could be translated to mean tunic that reaches to the palm of the hand or the sole of the foot, or a coat with sleeves. The only other time that this type of translation is in the Bible is when it refers to King David's daughter being a virgin and wearing a tunic that was meant for virgins. This could be referring to the style of the tunic, in which it may have covered most of her body. Also, a coat or a tunic with sleeves were really meant for rulers or persons of royalty. Because to have a coat with sleeves meant that the person didn't do any of the work, otherwise he would get his sleeves dirty. Traditionally, a person that worked had a coat that was sleeveless, so that they could wear it while working and not get it dirty or get it in the way. Therefore, when Jacob gave Joseph this coat, whether it was a coat of many colors or a coat with sleeves, he was elevating Joseph's position in the family. In essence, Jacob was raising Joseph to the position of being the firstborn son, even though he was not anywhere near being the firstborn. With this elevation of position, he was now placed above all of his other brothers, so that when Jacob dies, Joseph would now become the leader of the family or clan. Not only do the brothers know that their father loves Joseph more than any of them, they now have a constant visual showing him that he has now been placed above them. At this point, the brothers' hatred for Joseph had grown so much that they couldn't even speak nicely to him. It didn't help the matter whatsoever when Joseph began to have dreams, either. Joseph has two dreams, both of which he tells to his brothers, and the second one his father was around to hear it. The first dream was about him and his brothers all in the field tying up bundles of grain. And then Joseph's bundle stood up, or took the position of authority, and the other brothers' bundles gathered around and bowed down before Joseph's. When told this dream, his brothers hated him even more because he thought he would rule over his brothers. 
The second dream, though, is not just about his brothers. This time it would include the whole family. Joseph dreamt that the sun, moon, and eleven stars all came down and bowed before him. The sun was Jacob in the dream, and the moon were Jacob's wife. The eleven stars would be all of his brothers. This time, though, Jacob rebuked Joseph by correcting him that Jacob and his wife would not bow down to Joseph, but keeps the dream in mind pondering about it. After these things, though, Joseph's brothers were taking care of their father's flock near Shechem, which is about 50 to 70 miles north of where Jacob was living in Hebron, the same city that Levi and Simeon killed all the men in after their sister had been raped. So Jacob sends Joseph to go check on his brothers and wants him to bring back word on how things are going. Therefore, Joseph makes a trip up to Shechem to see how his brothers are doing. However, when he gets there, there's no trace of them nor the flocks. But while wandering around looking for a trail in the field for his brothers, a random man found him and asked Joseph what he was looking for. To which Joseph replied saying that he was looking for his brothers and if he had known where they went. The stranger said yes, and that he overheard that they were planning on going to Dothan, which was another 15 to 20 miles north of Shechem. Joseph would find his brothers in Dothan, but while coming towards them, his brothers' hatred for him would reach its apex. When they saw him coming towards them, they conspired to kill the dreamer, as they called him, and blame it on a wild animal. However, not all the brothers were in on this plan. Reuben, the eldest son of Jacob, convinced his brothers to not do any harm to him but just to throw him in the pit in the wilderness. Most likely it was either a well that was dug but had become empty, or a cistern. A cistern was a deep hole in the wilderness that was used to catch and preserve rain. However, in the summer months, they would dry up. It would be nearly impossible to climb out of one of those because they were deep and had a very narrow top. The reason that Reuben wanted to just throw him into the pit was because later on he was planning on coming back to pull him up from the pit and return him to his father. However, he would never get the chance to do so. When Joseph got to his brothers, they grabbed him and stripped him of his coat that was given to him by their father and threw him in the pit. Based on some Jewish scholars, it is thought that Simeon was the main driver behind the plot to kill Joseph. The reason for thinking that Simeon was the primary brother pushing for his death is because later on Joseph would cast him into prison and let the rest of the other brothers go. After throwing Joseph in the pit, they sat down to eat. But when they sat down, they saw a group of travelers coming from Gilead with all their goods that they were planning on selling in Egypt. This is the same area that Jacob would come to after fleeing Laban. Gilead is sometimes referred to the whole country that is east of the Jordan River. Now, in Genesis 37, verse 25 through 28, it says that the travelers were Ishmaelites, but also Midianites. So, which one was it? Both Ishmael and Midian were sons of Abraham, through concubines, and got sent away from Abraham so that they would not have any part in the inheritance with Isaac. Both sons settled down in the area of the Sinai Peninsula, with the descendants of Midian settling on both the east and west side of the Gulf of Akubah. Most likely what happened is the descendants of the two sons would intermarry with each other. Thus the word for Ishmaelites and Midianites would become interchangeable by the time Joseph would be sold to them. Today the descendants of Ishmael, Midian, and the other sons of Abraham from his concubines are known as the modern-day Arabs. Therefore Judah suggests to sell Joseph. Rather than just killing him, he made the case to sell him so that they could make a profit. Now some say that Judah was trying to save Joseph, just like Reuben was. 
However, if he's trying to save Joseph, like Reuben was, it's just speculation. Nothing in the Bible suggests this, except Judah did recognize that they were flesh and blood, and that they should not be the ones to kill him. Either way, Joseph's brothers sold him to the group of merchants heading from Gilead to Egypt with their goods to sell. The merchants bought Joseph for 20 shekels of silver. This would be equivalent to about 8 ounces of silver, which has a worth of just about 200 US dollars today. However, with money back then, it's a little harder to say how much the 20 shekels of silver would actually be. The shekel was sometimes used as a weight more so than a coin. Although there have been some silver shekels found, the weight of a shekel was just about 11.42 grams. But how much money was that? To make some type of comparison, in Jesus' time, the denarius was equivalent to a day's wages. A denarius weighed about 4.57 grams. A shekel would be equivalent to about two days' wages. That would mean that Joseph was traded for about the wages of 40 days. But this is just a rough estimate of the price that was paid. Although in Leviticus 27 verse 5, it sets the price for a male slave between the ages 5 and 20 to be worth 20 shekels. And with that, the merchants carried Joseph off to be sold as a slave in Egypt. Despite all the pleading from Joseph for help to not sell him, to have mercy on him, the brothers turned a deaf ear to him and let him be carried off. However, while this was all happening, Reuben was not present. Therefore, when he returned to the pit to set Joseph free while the brothers were gone, he found that Joseph was missing and he ripped his clothes. In ancient times, ripping their clothes was a physical display of deep emotion of mourning, grief, or loss. After selling Joseph, the brothers needed to figure out a way to tell their father that Joseph wasn't coming home. So they came up with the idea to kill a youngling from the flock and dip the coat into the blood of the lamb. They then brought the coat to their father, to which the brothers asked if Jacob recognized it to be his son's. Jacob would then make the assumption that Joseph was eaten by a wild animal. He too would then tear his clothes, but he would go even farther in showing the emotional pain that he was in by putting on sackcloth and mourn for his son for many days. Nothing was able to comfort Jacob, no matter what his family said or did, telling him that he would go down to his grave mourning for his son. With this, let's turn back to Joseph. After being sold by his brothers, Joseph is taken to Egypt to be sold as a slave. An Egyptian named Potiphar would purchase him to be a household slave. It was a normal thing in Egypt at this time to be owned by a private individual, unlike other countries in the East that the state controlled most of the slaves. Now there are many debates as who Potiphar was. It says in Genesis 37 verse 36 that Potiphar was an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. The name Potiphar is thought to mean either one of three things. The first is thought to mean father of the king. This would be an official title, not a name. The same way that prime minister, pastor, or president is a title, not a name. The second thing that it could mean is the father of the palace. Again, this would be a title, not a name. Lastly, Potiphar could have meant concentrated to Ra. Ra was the Egyptian sun god that was one of the main deities that were worshipped. None of the translation of Potiphar are actually names. They are all titles. The word for officer literally means eunuch. However, the word can also be translated to mean head of, which was usually connected to the high court. In the Mesopotamian region, it was customary for officials of the court for the king to be castrated. 
But many scholars debate, saying that in Egypt it was probably wasn't the custom to do so, unless they had direct contact with the king's wives and concubines. Otherwise, the only other time that men would be castrated was when it was punishment for some prisoners. It also has been found that not all officials that held this title were eunuchs, but throughout history when a man held this title were usually eunuchs. The other reason why it is said that Potiphar could not have been a eunuch was because he was married. However, some men, not all, could still have sex even after becoming a eunuch. Even if they were a eunuch that was married and couldn't have children, they could very well have adopted as it was a common thing to do for couples that could not have children. Typically, the word that is used for eunuch, which was used to describe Potiphar, means a torn off branch or to emasculate. Therefore, it's usually thought that Potiphar was not only an officer of the court, but also a eunuch. The other thing that is debated about Potiphar is the title, Captain of the Guard. This title can actually be translated to mean Chief Butcher or Chief Slaughterer. This would mean that Potiphar was actually the chief cook. However, the reason that it is thought to mean Captain of the Guard is because the word slaughterer is not referring to animals at all, but humans. This would mean that he would have been the chief executioner. This position was thought to have been held by the captain of the guard, or the commander of the king's bodyguard, seeing that he was inside the king's court. One way or another, Potiphar was within the king's royal court and held the title of either chief butcherer or the commander of the king's bodyguard. Now the Lord was with Joseph, so much so that everything that Joseph did prospered, and Potiphar noticed this and Joseph found favor before him. At the start of being a slave, Joseph would have become a household servant. Potiphar would eventually place everything under the care of Joseph, and when this happened, because of Joseph, everything that Potiphar had was blessed by the Lord, both inside the house and in the field. This shows us that Joseph very quickly became literate in the Egyptian language. Also, when everything was placed into his authority, Joseph would be in charge of the workers in the field, and with his background in agriculture, it made him a perfect fit for becoming the steward for all that Potiphar owned. Joseph was so much trusted by Potiphar, it says in Genesis 39 verse 6, that he didn't know what was happening whatsoever within his house, but that he was only concerned with the food that he ate. However, Potiphar's wife desired to sleep with Joseph, because like his mother, he was very good looking. The word would be the same described the fruit of the Garden of Eden, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, which could also hint at the idea that, like the fruit, Joseph was very tempting. Every day she would try to convince Joseph to sleep with her, and every day he would refuse. In Genesis 39 verse 8 through 9, Joseph tells her that no one in the house is greater than him except Potiphar himself, and that everything has been left in his charge. The only thing that was not put under his authority was his wife. Now Joseph was probably in his early 20s when he was put in charge and began being asked to lie with his master's wife. A lot of pressure at a young age. But he knew that to do such a thing would be a great sin against God. Therefore he never gave in to her demands. One day though, when all the men were out of the house, Joseph came into the house to do his regular work and duties and she caught him by his garment, demanding that he would lie with her. But still, Joseph refused and ran out of the house without his garment. When she was left standing there with his garment in her hands, she screamed out in anger, telling the servants to lie that Joseph tried to come in the house and rape her and that the only reason she was saved from him was because she cried out with a loud voice. She would hold on to Joseph's garment until Potiphar came home and repeat the same lie to him. 
The anger of Potiphar would burn against Joseph, and he would take him and throw him into prison. If Potiphar was the commander of the guard or the chief executioner, the prison would be under his authority, although it would have its own prison guard or a prison keeper, a deputy of Potiphar. The prison that Joseph was placed in was for the king's prisoners, not just any prisoners. Most prisons in ancient times were held underground in dungeons. However, the prison for the king's prisoners was on the same property as the captain of the guard, as it says in Genesis 40 verse 3. Therefore, when Potiphar took Joseph and placed him in prison, it was just taking him from the house and moving him into another building on the property. Some Jewish scholars think that Potiphar didn't completely believe his wife, because if he did fully believe her, then Joseph would have been put to death. Although in Psalms 105 verse 18, it mentions that he was treated very severely by being put into chains when he was first thrown into prison. Eventually, he would once again be trusted, but not only the prison guard, but also his old master, Potiphar. Just like in his old master's house, Joseph would be given authority over the prisoners, and whatever was under his authority, the prison guard would not look into because there was no need to. Even in the prison, the Lord was with Joseph, and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. After some time, the king would place his chief baker and chief cupbearer under Potiphar because of some unknown wrong that they did to offend the king. The cupbearer's job was to serve the king. This is why some translations say that he was the king's butler. The primary job of the cupbearer was to serve the wine to the king at his table. But because of needing to be aware of plots to kill the king, the cupbearer would have to protect the king's cup and sometimes taste it to make sure that it wasn't poisoned. This position was very important in keeping the king safe, that it needed to be filled by someone that was extremely trustworthy and loyal person. Just like the cupbearer, the chief baker had to be extremely trustworthy. The baker was in charge of all the baked goods that the king consumed. These two men Potiphar would place under Joseph's authority, as he was now the one running the prison. One may wonder if Potiphar would trust Joseph once again in prison, why not bring him back into the house and have him run it once again? In ancient Egypt, women had more of a say in society than what was traditional in most other regions during this time. This meant that women were completely equal to that of men, and that they could own and run farms, businesses, and even the country as a whole. If a woman chose to do so, she could also attend court and bring a case before the judge for any legal matter, including divorce. Therefore, Potiphar may have seen it best to just remove Joseph from the household completely in order to keep the matter controlled and hushed so that nothing else would come up in the situation. Also, much of his property was endowed to her, so it could also have been that Potiphar just didn't want to offend her. However, Potiphar, for the rest of his life, was most likely in close contact with Joseph. When Potiphar placed the chief baker and the chief cupbearer in Joseph's hands, they both had a dream on the same night after being in prison for some time. The dreams disturbed them both, so much so that when Joseph came into the prison in the morning, he could see it on their faces. Therefore, Joseph asked them what was wrong, to which they replied that they had a dream but no one could interpret it. In those times, there were magicians that were trained to interpret dreams, but none were to be found in the prison with them at the moment, so they were discouraged. However, Joseph tells them that interpretations belong to God, not magicians, and asks them to share their dreams with him. The chief cupbearer would go first. His dream was about him standing before a vine of grapes, and on the vine there are three branches. 
The three branches bud it, blossom, and produce grapes. The cupbearer would then take the grapes and press them into Pharaoh's cup. Then he would hand the cup to Pharaoh himself. A quick side note here. There are many who try to discredit the Bible because of this dream. They say that Egypt never had vineyards in Joseph's time, but they made their wine out of barley. However, there have been discovered many drawings of vineyards and tombs that date back to Joseph. And although the country was never known for producing wine, it did make its own wine. After hearing the dream, Joseph tells the cupbearer in the three days he will be restored back to his position and once again hold the cup for the king. After that, all that Joseph asked was that when he went back to the king, that he would remember him so that he could get out of prison. After seeing an encouraging interpretation for the cupbearer, the chief baker then tells Joseph his dream. The baker in his dream was carrying three baskets on top of his head, as this was how most men carried things in ancient Egypt. The top basket had all kinds of baked goods for the king, but the birds kept coming and eating the goods out of the basket. Joseph would then interpret the dream to mean that also, in three days, he would be taken out of prison. But he would not get his position back like the cupbearer, but instead he would be hung and the birds would eat his body. Therefore, three days later, on the king's birthday, there was a great celebration that the cupbearer and the baker were both taken out of prison, and the baker was hung on a tree, and the cupbearer was restored to his position, just like Joseph said. However, when the cupbearer was restored back to his position, he totally forgot about Joseph. It wouldn't be for another two more years before Joseph would be remembered by the cupbearer. Only reason that he did remember him was because the king would have a dream that troubled him so much that he called in all of his magicians and wise men, but no one could interpret the dream. So join us next time as we take a look at the situation that God used for good to bring Joseph into power so that he could save not only the nation of Egypt, but also his family that sold him into slavery. In episode 13, a classic underdog story. Thanks for listening to the History of the Bible podcast. Go ahead and rate and review it. And also be sure to subscribe and follow it. For ways to give feedback or to let us know how this podcast has impacted you, check out the links in the show notes. Also, be sure to tell your friends and family about the show. Thanks. Until next time, remember that you are loved, special, and worthwhile.